Lionel Productions, Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Hey everybody, welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, episode 77. Really glad you took the opportunity to tune in and listen to this episode today. Today we have Jen Wicks. She is the Director of Teaching and Learning Innovation at College of North Atlantic in Newfoundland and Labrador and has worked in higher education for over 20 years. She holds a professional coach certification from the IFC and graduated from the Certificate in Executive Coaching Program at Royal Roads University. Jen is also an Appreciative Inquiry Facilitator and a member of the Authentic Leadership Global TM community. She's passionate about safe streets, and that comes up in this episode right near the end, so you want to listen to that, and serves as Director of Women's Cycling and on the Executive Board of Bicycle Newfoundland and Labrador. This is a great episode. We cover a whole gamut of different topics and interests. We'll catch you on the other side. Netflix always throws me for a loop. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. So glad you've taken the time to tune in and listen to us today. We have a special returning guest. Jennifer, this must be third for you now. Third, third, third time back? Yes. Third time's a charm. (laughs) Uh, Well, every one of them has been a charm. It's been, it's been awesome to have you here, everyone. This is Jen Wicks. You are from the awesome province of Newfoundland. And, and so Labrador. there's a, sorry? And Labrador. Oh, right. I can't forget that. I'll have to edit that back. So you are from the amazing province of Newfoundland and Labrador. And uh, so tell us, uh, for those of you who don't know Jen, she is an, she's a, an avid cyclist um, and she just got off a 140K ride, which is amazing. And... Um, Jen, how about you fill us in a little bit on your background and what you're doing? Sure. Uh, Thanks. And I'm really glad to be here again, having another good chat with you, Tim. Uh, So I'm Jen Wicks, and I'm the Director of Teaching and Learning Innovation at College of the North Atlantic in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, I'm based uh, just outside St. John's. And uh, yeah, basically, I'm the Teaching and Learning Center here. And so most of you will recognize that, you know, faculty development role. And I've got lots of people helping me out, supporting me to make sure that we reach all the faculty that we can offering professional development and learning opportunities. Um, you know, getting through this, uh, COVID, uh, period has been quite a challenge, but I've been able to connect with a lot of people and hear a lot of stories about how people are, um, getting through all this. So, yeah, so that's basically who I am. And, um, yeah, I don't know if there's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Jen, how's the province doing with COVID? Uh, so we've had some, you know, minimal numbers cropping up again just lately, but uh, in general, I think we've fared quite well and um, things have, uh, you know, we've gone down to a level now where um, in many places, masks are optional, although I do notice a lot of people still wearing masks and some businesses are still requiring masks. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, in some ways it feels more normal uh, than it has. And, you know, kids are back to school, uh, you know, all those things. So it's, uh, you know, and on campus, we've we've modified our uh, delivery. So we do have some people back on campus and some programs have gone online. So, yeah, it's been a, an interesting uh, year and a half. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and for those of you who are listening outside of Canada, we have a federal election coming up in. Well, by the time this this recording gets released, the federal election will have already passed and maybe there'll be a change. How is how is the process of the uh, election been affecting Newfoundland? Uh, 
there's a lot of uh, discussion about that. And uh, interestingly, there's also a municipal election coming up. So, uh, yeah, so there's there's just signs everywhere and uh, (laughs) a lot of campaigning, trying to, you know, keep your eye on on both uh, elections is, you know, there's a lot of information coming at us right now. But, yeah, I don't know what how it's going to turn out for us this time around. Is there a feeling in Newfoundland kind of like there is a feeling in BC that, you know, we're, we're because we're on the coasts and we're not in the epicenter of the country, we're like our, our provinces aren't Quebec or Ontario. <laughs> is there a feeling is, uh, in the province a little bit of, you know, it doesn't really matter what we do? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Personally, I have always kind of had that sense that, that People, when people talk about politics here that, you know, they're all the same kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I can't really speak for everyone, obviously, but what? There, there does seem to be, <laughs> there does seem to be that sentiment uh, going around. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always felt that in BC. Like I, I, I'm an avid advocate for voting, like get out there and vote. There's too, too many people have sacrificed a lot, including the ultimate sacrifice to give us the the ability to, to have these kinds of activities in our country. And I take them very seriously. And so do your homework, people get out there and get your vote in because it counts. But, you know, oftentimes when it gets around to BC, it's like, well, you know, the rest of the country's pretty much voted already. <clears throat> and we know, we know which way it's going to go unless it's super tight, which I don't think it's been for a while, but Anyway, I just uh, I kind of feel like, oh, what's the what's the point? Right. And it's it's like, yeah. Anyway, good enough politics. I'm done. I'm done with politics for the last two years. It's just been stupid. But um, <laughs> oh, good to have you on the show, Jen. You you are you're an executive coach Thank as well, as, as well as working with the uh, Center of Innovation and Learning. And um, so that's that's why I wanted to bring you back to do my little quarterly coaching session. I'm just kidding. No, we don't need to do that. Um, but uh, <laughs> what's what's been what's been in the forefront of, of everyone's mind out there, uh, especially these last six months as you're coming into the coming out of summer and looking at coming into fall? Uh, I know here in the province, a lot of places are going back face to face and there's there's some turmoil. There's some uneasiness about that. What's it like out there? Um, yeah, I mean, I really feel like people are just kind of getting on with it. The people who are back on campus are quite excited about it for the most part. Um, you know, ready to get back face to face and, and see their students and, you know, be in their, their shops and their labs and their classrooms. Um, you know, again, it's hard to say, and we're just starting up right now, but I've been really focused on uh, greeting and welcoming all the new uh, faculty that we have on board at the college, um, just getting our offerings ready for people and, you know, making the booking schedule and all those kind of logistics for um, for professional learning uh, throughout the year. So it's quite exciting. We've decided to go with a theme this year of universal design for learning. Um, yes. So, um, a lot of the teaching and learning workshops will be including, uh, UDL and I'm planning to do a book club in January on the book, uh, reach everyone, teach everyone. And, uh, I got that idea from, uh, Jennifer Connolly at, uh, Holland college. So I have to give a shout out to her. Um, and they actually, uh, did the book club at Holland college and, they had uh, Thomas Tobin, one of the authors, come and uh, speak to them on Zoom for an hour uh, at the end of their book club. Yeah. So, you know, fingers crossed, we might get a little extra bonus after we do the, uh, we might get a visit. Uh, that would be wonderful. But yeah, so that's, um, that's one of the things on the horizon, but super excited about the UDL theme. That is cool. So how did you come up with the theme? Do, do you have a team of people looking at that? Uh, no. So how it came up was I had had the conversation with Jennifer at Holland college last year. She shared with me a lot of the resources and, and told me, you know, how it went and that they had chosen it as a theme. And the more I looked at the research, the more I looked at what was coming out about, um, you know, this just kind of the future of teaching and learning, um, it, you know, universal design, not just in 
education, but elsewhere, you know, everywhere through throughout our communities, it really um, there's a really big impetus for and need for universal design. And, you know, I do a lot of advocacy around safe streets and cycling infrastructure. And that's, you know, it's a it's an architectural reference and it runs through everything that we do and everything that we touch. So we need to be considering um, how we uh, design everything for more of the people uh, rather than waiting for people to request accommodations or um, ask for things. You know, we, we need to be really thinking ahead here. So, yeah. So she brought it up. And then the more I looked at and I'm working on this framework for uh, teaching and learning for the whole college, um, which is going to outline just basically some expectations, some competencies that people can choose for themselves where they want to go. It'll be kind of a design your own uh, learning plan kind of thing for faculty. Um, and so as a part of that as well, universal design, I put it in there as a component, but then it actually touches every aspect, every every competency of uh, the, the framework. So it just seems like a really a natural fit to try to set this out as a theme set our intentions, uh, get people just well-versed in what it is and understanding the concept. And then again, letting people choose, like, where do I see myself in this? How do I think this would benefit my students in my subject matter? And what's one thing I can do? That's very cool. <clears throat> Pardon me. I like that last question. What, what is there that I can do? Is, so is that the framework that you just laid out for us there? Is that, is that the framework of your UDL program? Uh, well, the framework is around competencies. So um, the there's kind of five main areas, which is uh, professional engagement, teaching and learning, assessing for learning, learner engagement, and digital fluency and innovation. Um, yeah, so kind of, you know, kind of the standard areas that would, I guess, make a well-rounded teacher. Um, so, you know, and I think there's something in it for everyone in terms of if you're a career teacher and you've been doing it forever, you can find some things in there like, oh, hey, I've been wanting to do this, or I think this would solve a problem right to the person who is just coming on board, doesn't have any teaching background and can also see, oh, okay, here's some things and, and I can, you know, create a learning plan for myself that makes sense for me, uh, you know, over the next six months or over the next year, here's what I'm going to focus on. That's very cool. So, so the, if I'm understanding you correctly, so the, the intent of this is to have a framework in place for new people coming into the university college who have a passion for their, their expertise, but may not be adverse, uh, in, in teaching very well. I'm, I'm saying that incorrectly, who may not have as much experience in teaching, um, but also you're bringing a depth of and a breadth of perspective to the to the role of teaching, right? Yeah, it gives people some things to aspire to, no matter where we are in our career. You know, you know, no matter how much you learn, there's always something else. Um, and it's not to be overwhelming. It's just to say you don't have to do all of these things. But what excites you about this um, framework? It's not a check off all the boxes thing. It's not a, you know, do a, a session in all of these things through the year. It's nothing like that. It's like, what do I want to focus on? And, oh, okay, here's a kind of template of things that I might, you know, um, structure my plan around or uh, see what's possible. Right. So what excites you the most about UDL is you're getting into the research and digging through this and building this from the grass up. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think probably back when I heard of UDL first, it seemed like a very overwhelming construct, uh, like uh, in the sense that, oh, I'm going to have to redesign everything or if I'm, you know, teaching a class it's all about choice. And so that means I have to have, you know, a million different assignments created. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to mark all that stuff. It feels like a very overwhelming concept at first. Um, and that's why I think this book is really good. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm, I'm getting through it now. And it is so good. Uh, it's very practical. 
And one of the things they talk about is this plus one methodology. Uh, and, and so that's that piece of just saying, what's one thing I can try? What's one thing I can do differently? Is it captioning my, uh, you know, PowerPoints or doing a voiceover for my slides? Um, you know, is it giving my students the choice in how they um, demonstrate uh, a, a skill? You know, so it's it's like, what's one thing I can do and then see how that goes, you know, so no pressure, just just one little thing. And, you know, kind of taking the momentum from that and building confidence around. Oh, OK, so now I'm meeting more needs of more people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what else can I do now? Right. I'll, I'll provide a link to the book in the show notes. And uh, so people who are listening, you can. Click that link and off you go. And that's great. So what, what are you doing differently now, Jen, as you are digging into this and, and, and uh, applying what you're learning? Um, for me, for, for my offerings, well, one of the things is we're adding a universal design you know, theme. So that means our, some of our offerings are going to be explicitly about UDL. Like what is it introducing it to the college? I'm sure some people will know more about it than I do. Um, so we'll all be learning together. Um, we also have some amazing resources at the college, like library services, uh, accessibility services. We have our counseling services. So all of, of those uh, talents that we have and also our um, instructional designers and people in, in our distributed learning service. Um, a lot of people have a lot of different expertise in this. So right. it's bringing those people together and asking for support. I do, uh, I'm working right now with um, Stephanie Cashin, who's from our accessibility services. And she did a presentation at our connected learning workshop in May um, about universal design for learning. And so we're kind of just building on that, seeing, you know, where can we start with getting people some exposure to UDL? How's that going? How's the exposure going? Uh, well, we our first one is coming up, uh, I think the first week of October is going to be our first focused session on UDL. But also I'm trying to just build it in for myself. I'm trying to do the plus one method. So trying to build in more choice, more options, um, more flexibility in my offerings. I have done some stuff in the past where, um, for example, I didn't really want to record it because it was like live and I want people to feel safe uh, in this space, like maybe they're new faculty. And so if I recorded it, they wouldn't want to share as much. So I think that's a valid, you know, um, concern, but thinking about this UDL approach, I'm just trying to find different ways to be considerate of everyone, including people who, um, you know, can't make the, the live session, um, making materials available in different ways online. And yeah, so just trying to set up sessions like that. And then also including bits and pieces of UDL in our other offerings. So maybe we're offering a session about um, authentic assessment and it's not specifically hitting UDL on the head, but we will be either modeling a UDL methodology or, uh, you know, following the guidelines, or we might highlight some of the things um, about UDL in those sessions. So That's there's lots of opportunities to, yeah. to be able to include it. That sounds very cool. If you need any help, let me know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. I, I, I fell in love with UDL a long time ago and I was on a project with a, a colleague of mine when I was back at PCIT and we did uh, UDL uh, for math. And when we were finished the product, we, we, we've soon discovered that it was a whole new delivery system. Like, you know, like math had been traditionally, you know, do this, do this, uh, this problem and, and repeat times 10 with different numbers and maybe different names. Right. And soon people get tired of that. And so we started, we started rolling in narrative and, and, you know, making it almost well, silly, uh, and, 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 but just using everyday math and, and using UDL principles. And, uh, it, 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 it was not only an interesting experience, but it, it transformed a lot of the things that I've done after that. Like even something simple as PowerPoints, like I'm very aware now of background and motion in background and color scheme in slides and, 
and always the, you know, the death by PowerPoint principles of, you know, not having too much print and all that other stuff. And, you know, but even the picture being on the correct side of the screen for, and where the, where the writing is. And yeah, so it's, it's made a huge impact on just like you said, like one little thing that I do that I love doing, I love presenting, I love facilitating and it's transformed what I do. And now it's almost second nature where it's, I just build that in to the point where I've had people comment, like, well, how did you do that? And, and that's an interesting way of having that background. Like, why are you doing all that? And so yeah. I found that it's, it's brought up a natural conversation about UDL and I am by no means an expert on UDL. Right. So I'm going to be picking up this book and reading it. And we have a colleague at BC campus, um, uh, uh Carly, who is, uh, she's just done her PhD in UDL design and wow. uh, yeah. And so whenever we have her involved in conversations, she always asks these really great questions, yeah. right? Or she's very, she's very subtle and, and gentle. And she's like, well, don't forget about this. Right. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. And right. And cause you, it's amazing. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what you're going to, put together here. Cause again, like building something from the ground up, that really excites me. Right. That really yeah, excites me. And I'd me. love to know more about your math uh, project with UDL. I think that's uh, that's a really cool aspect and probably something that I haven't even really thought about at all. How do you do math with a, a UDL mm -hmm. uh, focus? So yeah, let's, maybe you could do a podcast about <laughs> Well, I, I know that uh, my colleague had partnered with another friend, colleague of mine. Um, I'll just mention their names, Mark Overgard and Chad Flynn. So shout out to Mark Overgard and Chad Flynn for putting together um, a series now. They call it Math for Trades and they've done volume one, volume two. And by the time people hear this, they'll be on volume three. And they have taken the whole teaching of math and trades and flipped it on its head. Uh, so they've done not only the traditional um, textbook we'll call it the workbook but they've done video they've done they've done audio recording they've done short video to uh like little explainer videos um they've done narrative videos to just conversationally walk through concepts and i'm getting tons of great feedback so i'll make sure that you get links to that uh, in, in not only in the show notes but jen i'll send it to you and you can use that um, and then there was another one that we worked on that Mark, well, not we, Mark did it before he and I worked on the math one where he did soldering and yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll get that to you somehow. And then, you know, cause I'm Thank sure, you. I'm sure Mark will be, uh, thrilled to know that it's being looked at out in the great expanse of Newfoundland Labrador. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So do you see any parallels between what you're doing with UDL and, and coaching? Cause it almost seems like you're making people aware of things that they weren't aware of. Well, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, just as you're saying that now, cause I hadn't really thought about it hmm. is when we approach UDL, especially with adult learners in higher education um, and this going back to this idea of choice and flexibility and we've talked about this before, taking your 100% responsibility. You know, this um, taking the classroom from a teaching centered, you know, uh, me thing from a teacher's perspective uh, to a we thing with where the students are really thinking about their future. How am I going to use this? Why is this important? Um, and what can I do now? Um, if, even if I'm not like so excited and passionate about this thing that I've chosen to study, um, you know, what are some of the things that I can do to make this maybe easier or more accessible for me? Whereas, you know, it used to be, uh, you know, in, in many cases where the teacher was saying, this is the way. <laughs> This is the only way. <laughs> and that's everything from the instructions to the materials, to the content, to the curriculum, to the assessment and how things need to be submitted. Uh, you know, when those things are very rigid, it's difficult for people to take their 100 percent responsibility because you are taking more. And when, when you're taking more, the other person takes less. It's just that kind of a, 
a dance. So I think universal design actually opens up that opportunity to say, we're both here. I'm taking my 100% as your teacher. And I, here's what I'm going to commit to this year and getting the students to also look at it, you know, and maybe they don't know in the beginning, what's my 100%, but helping them articulate that and to look for opportunities by being somewhat flexible or doing the plus one method, um, whatever that looks like and working with your colleagues and saying, Hey, what do you got? You know, what have you tried that's working for you? Um, all of those things can bring more partnership or a sense of partnership into the classroom. If that's what you want. Now, not every instructor is going to want uh, to have that kind of a, a classroom environment. Um, again, it's a choice and I'm not going to tell anyone how to run their classroom, um, but it is something I'm excited about. And we know from coaching that how adults learn, um, one of the big factors is if they feel like they can choose, if we feel like we can choose something or there is a choice, um, we feel a lot more empowered and maybe even happier, uh, you know, to say, I'm going to pick the thing that I want to do rather than just being told there's only one way. Right. Right. There's a lot more success in that too. I think when people pick something that they're already kind of fired up about, or maybe even more curious than, than fired up and allowing that curiosity to lead them into that, that area of excitement and dare I say passion, but um, mm. yeah, very cool. Very cool. How's the coaching going? The coaching is going well. Um, and actually, I don't know if I shared with you last time. Yeah, I think I did. Uh, we had talked about the partnership with Niagara College, um, the uh, six month pilot. Uh, it's called Coach Like in the Classroom. And uh, so we're now in the, the latter stages of that, uh, where we've got two workshops left. And um, we're getting some good feedback. Uh, you know, we've kind of assess ourselves and we're looking at, you know, how can we do this better next time? I think it was a bit long, the six month period, especially between two colleges. So we've had some attrition and, um, you know, even for us, it's like, okay, maybe we can do this in a bit more of a compact way. Uh, and I've been working with, uh, Dana Weatherall at, uh, at Niagara. So she's been an amazing partner to work with and, you know, we're not done yet. Uh, but this was, it was a really exciting project. So thinking about that, you know, how can we do more of the coach like practice in the classroom? And then how do we bring that to people? Because coaching and instructional coaching typically have been more about observing and giving feed direct feedback you know have you tried this it's more of a mentoring thing um so it's it's actually quite cool to take this from a pure coaching methodology and you know for me it's it's the stuff that i've learned from royal roads university which is you know we take a very pure coaching approach uh to learning it and then you know you can build on that when you leave and get creative um but thinking about that pure coaching, how can we take those competencies of being coach like, because we're not a coach. If we're an instructor, we're not really a pure coach, but we can take some of those competencies into the classroom in order to help our students uh, design their own actions, for example, and uh, building their own accountability, uh, which are really important pieces that I think are often missing in the relationship with an instructor and their students. So what was, what was the, what was one thing that surprised you about your pilot project so far? Um, hmm, surprise. That's a good question. Honestly, I think it was like between Dan and I, because we are both certified coaches, it's probably for us, like how much we've learned, how, how far we've come. So now when we work with people who are not coaches, we realize how much work it takes to become a coach in the like pure sense of coaching. So how do you make this achievable and sustainable and accessible for faculty who've already got all this other stuff going on and, and make it, you know, kind of bite-sized pieces so that people can, it's, you know, it's, it goes back to this plus one method. I think what's one thing I can bring into my classroom that will 
make me a better listener or ask better questions so that my students can, uh, you know, feel empowered and maybe be more successful in their learning. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. What's one thing that you've learned that you'll won't do again. <laughs> I'm trying mm. to couch it around the term of, you know, is there, is there, a, you don't have to go into detail, but is, is there a mistake that happened that you're like, aha, that's a great question. Um, and I don't know if Dana will agree with me on this one, but I think what comes to the surface as you ask me that question is trying to take um, faculty and and give them like too much information about the coaching stuff. Uh, maybe if we had, and this is what we're, you know, I'm definitely thinking about offering a shorter, more compact offering of this to really focus on the practical uh, aspects of it. I mean, it's hard to separate the two. And, and I think that's where we, you know, that's where we went because that was what we felt was necessary. So the challenge will now be innovating the, what we've already delivered to bring it to the next level so that we can, again, make it more accessible for people. Do you find it, um, do you find it easier to, to work with another coach on this uh, because you now you're bringing two people together that have got, you know, training and experience and thoughts and all that other stuff. And, and I'm sure it worked out really well for the two of you, but you know, do you find that hard to come together as two coaches with all that, all that background to, to put together this, this kind of a project? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So I just kind of randomly, had reached out to the teaching and learning center at Niagara last year. And, um, her supervisor, Natasha, um, said, Hey, there's somebody in my office who is interested in coaching and becoming a coach. Um, maybe I can, you know, set you up for a conversation. We had literally one conversation. She told me about this application she was doing for some funding and asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And I was like, yes, 100%. I want to be a part of that. And then we were just off to the races and it has been, I think one of the most successful partnerships that I've ever been a part of it's yeah. She's just been delightful to work with. And, um, I think we just, you know, we keep each other going and we bring different perspectives. I never felt like it was slowing me down to have a partnership, which sometimes can be the case. I actually felt like I probably was more productive with her support and um, with the kinds of conversations that we were having. We're both so excited about it. So That's it's good. been really nice. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Sorry. Are you going to, are you going to keep working together after this pilot's done? I hope so. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've definitely, we've talked about it. So mm -hmm. I hope that she's still got time uh, to, uh, to keep working on this and, and elevate it to the next level. That's very cool. Very cool. How's the coaching going at, uh, at uh, the school when you interact um, with faculty? Yeah. So I'm not doing much one-to-one -one coaching right now outside of that, um, offering. Cause we do offer one-to-one -one coaching through that. Um, usually it takes people a little bit of time to settle in in the fall and then I'll start getting some calls for, for coaching. But there were a few big aha moments at the end of last semester, which I was really excited about. And I think part of that was we had done that connected learning workshop series, which was a three day internal conference, basically a virtual conference and different faculty had presented and whatnot. And I had done a few sessions. And after that, I had a lot of uptake from faculty saying, oh, hey, you had mentioned this thing in your session. Can I set up a time to meet you? And so being relatively new to the college, that was a great opportunity for, I think, people to get to know me better. And then we were able to have some great conversations. Um, people were actually, you know, wanting to have a second pair of eyes on some things, just have some brainstorming conversations around how they could do things better. And we did have some really good moments where we were like, oh, okay. So, uh, you know, for example, alignment, course alignment, something very simple that when you're teaching the course, you're just like head down in it. Everyone, you know, you might have a team of people teaching the same course. So you feel obliged to stick to what's there. Um, and we basically, you know, in one instance, we had looked at this huge slide 
presentation. And uh, when we looked back to the learning outcomes, there were like two learning outcomes for that. Oh. It's like, wow, okay, all right. <laughs> two learning outcomes for 150 slide deck, right? It's like, oh. So that was, you know, that was brilliant. But it was also like, oh no, like what? So how do you then coordinate everyone? And if somebody has put the work into building that content, uh, you know, it's a, it's a relationship piece too. So, right. yeah. <laughs> I can imagine going and having that conversation going, okay, so Tim, <laughs> that 150 slide deck that you got going on there. Great. But, uh, only covers about one eighth of the content that we really need to cover. So we're going to have to trim this back a little bit, right. And walking on yeah. eggshells. Cause Tim has been there for, you know, 20 plus years and right. he's, he's got a lot of influence and pull and he may not be the quote unquote ticketed leader, but he's the, the informal leader. And now you got to have a conversation with this, with this person. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's, it can be quite freeing to say, Oh, wow. I've cause people are our main uh, commodity is time. So if, if you're the person who's going around like a chicken with your head cut off every day saying, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. And then all of a sudden you've got a slide, you know, one whole class basically cut down to two slides in a short conversation. Um, well, now I've got all of this time left over. What can I do with that? And so, you know, that's where we can bring in some of these new innovations and say, how are you engaging your students in having these more coach-like conversations? That's so cool because I, I know early on in my career, I'd get these slide decks from colleagues who were very well um, versed in, in the subject matter that they were teaching. And, and I was, some of the stuff was new to me. So I'd get their slide deck of no kidding, like a hundred slides. And I'd be like, and I'd feel this pressure to get through all of them. Like I, I had this, this in inside pressure to go, well, this person gave me the slide deck. Surely they must go through every slide themselves in class. So I have to do it too. And then not knowing all the content, I often found myself speeding through slides mm. or spending an exorbitant amount of time trying to find out all the background to, to all this stuff. And then yeah. realizing, oh my goodness, this, how do they cover all this stuff in that short <laughs> amount of time? Oh, I can imagine that some people be doing that and going, okay, this is free because if I can cut that 100 deck down to 10, right. And now I can, now I can ha have students emerge the conversation uh, from that slide deck rather than me just, just, just driving it through. Right. Yeah. Just, you know, it's just a matter of, time people just say oh, i just got to get through this right and so if you hear yourself saying that even if it's just internally oh i've just got to get through all of this stuff um that should be a little cue for self-reflection to just say do i have too much stuff where did all this stuff come from <laughs> maybe if i look and this is why it's really important to have those slow conversations at the beginning of the semester where people sit down, you have your cup of coffee or, or your tea or whatever, take some nice deep breaths and say, what are we trying to achieve here? What's coming up? What's at the end? You know, where are we going with the assessments and being able to work backwards from that? And you've done some stuff on backward design, uh, which is quite useful. And so there's a macro level to backward design, you know, just looking at the whole course and what everyone's going to be doing. And then there's the kind of micro level, which is the, the individual lessons and how you're going to deliver, um, you know, the, the actual, um, structure for learning. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, one other exciting thing we're doing here is we have, um, developed a new classroom observation process. I don't know if we talked about this last no. time. I don't, I don't think we no. had started it yet. Is this like with one-way glass and stuff? <laughs> Cause that wouldn't be intimidating <laughs> slash cool at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Very spy like, um, no. <laughs> so we didn't have classroom observations and, um, someone reached out to me from school of health sciences because they needed this component for some of their accreditation for some programs. Um, and so I've always wanted to do a, something unique for classroom observations. That's like not connected to HR or policy, but it's more of a strengths-based uh, coach approach to classroom observing. So thinking about, you know, how do we do that 
without a whole staff of coaches, because obviously I'm not going to be able to do, um, you know, 600 <laughs> classroom observations a year. Um, we have done, we started a pilot. So we did some in, uh, in June um, with some of the staff from, uh, for the faculty from health sciences. And uh, we developed a template for, for whoever is observing um, and basically it is like a coaching conversation. So you sit in on the class, just like a normal classroom observation, but you've only got a few things to look for, like kind of competency based things. Uh, nothing, I want to say like nothing silly, like, you know, how sometimes classroom observations have like, um, teacher came to class on time or, you oh, know, things like yeah. that. Like, yeah. you know, it's very like. I don't know what the word is, but uh, we didn't want it to be. We wanted to basically hold people capable as professionals. We're not going to be nitpicking your every little move because we don't think that that's valuable. The most valuable part of it, an observation is being able to hold up the mirror for people. And especially to say, I noticed that when you did this, all of the students were engaged or all of the students were you know, writing all of, they all started writing something down when you said that looking for the things that they're doing well. And, you know, this is, uh, this always comes up in, in these conversations people will go, yeah, but what if they're doing it all wrong? <laughs> well, nobody's ever doing it all wrong. And if you come into somebody's classroom, that's a very vulnerable place for them to be. So we have to protect that safe space for our faculty. We have to respect them as professionals, no matter where they're coming from or where they're starting. And so getting to put on that, you know, those glasses of I'm going to look for all the strengths that I see. It is uh, a gift for people. And it's some place where we can start building a relationship. If you don't have that relationship, you're never going to get back to that place again, you're never going to be able to find a way to have more meaningful conversations with people. So it's like, Hey, I'm just here today to see, um, what you're doing well and to hold up the mirror. If the person it's just like any coaching conversation, you say, you know, what would you like to focus on today? Or you would say, you know, is there something that you'd like to do over from today? And then when they talk about that, that can be an opening where you say, is that something you'd like to talk about? If they say yes, that opens the door to having some conversation about that. And what we don't want is for the observer to just give advice. We want a real coaching approach where the observer gets curious about that. So if you say, um, is there anything you would have liked to do over if you had another chance to do that class? And the instructor says, well, I feel like I talked too much and my students didn't really participate. Like I, it was like, you know, um, dead air or whatever, like, uh, or pulling teeth, you know, if they say something like that and you say, well, is that something you'd like to talk about more? And they say, yes. Then you can ask some more curious questions. And they might say, you know, so you might ask them a curious question like, um, is this normal? Like, are they normally, is it like pulling teeth? Uh, and if they say no or yes, you know, so you basically just be really present and listen and have a coaching style conversation. And you show up as a coach. Wow. Okay. I think I might need you to fly out to BC. Um, <laughs> you've got lots of talented coaches out there that can, well, yeah, we do. We do. So that's interesting because when you say, you know, I, when I was talking, I didn't feel like the students were engaging much. It, I, I think back to my own teaching practice in my continuing part-time studies practice. It's like, I often, sometimes I, I misjudge that, right. Where I feel like they're not, they're not engaging. They're not talking. They're not asking questions. Therefore, they're not getting it. I'm, I'm, what am I missing? Am I over their head? Am I wasting time? Or again, it, it gets dark after that, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it just, just goes to a dark place. 
And sometimes I'm absolutely wrong. Sometimes I'm there, like they're so engaged and they're in the material and they're just listening and soaking up everything. Right. And, 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 and I'm, and I'm just wrong. I'm just absolutely wrong about the engagement piece. Do you find yourself having that kind of conversation with instructors saying you might look at engagement this way? That's not the only way students engage. Mm. It's interesting. I'm thinking back to one conversation in particular. And I think what I asked was something like, what kind of engagement would you like to see? And what's important about that to you? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's a really good, why is that important to you? Yeah. Do you find people really wrestling with their value systems when it comes to being a teacher or a faculty? I think people don't always acknowledge that their values are coming into play. I think people kind of, sometimes they have very high expectations for themselves, but they don't acknowledge what those expectations are, where they came from. You know, if, if the last time you've observed someone teaching was when you were in school, like as a child or as a you know high school student or a university student or a college student, then it's been a while for most of us, uh, by the time we get into a classroom and frankly, some people are coming from industry. So they, the last time they might've seen anything remotely like this is a presentation or a foreman or a boss coming in and giving a speech. So I have seen people who use the kind of both ends of the spectrum, like some faculty who are like, oh, I'm a great teacher. I'm doing amazing. They've got like confidence off the scale. And then, you know, you might see their classroom and you can just tell they're a great person. They've got great charisma and the students like them, but it's like a, an act, you know, it's like a show or something. So it, it's, it's working in the sense that, you know, they'll probably get good student evaluations. Their students are, are learning, um, but there isn't much emphasis on the students. It's more about the, the instructor. Um, again, that's a choice and that's a, somebody's personality might also influence that. But when you see a really good class uh, or even just a really good conversation between a teacher and a student, it's about the student. It's, not just I care about the students because I think everyone cares about their students and how they do. I would, I would like to think so. Um, it's not only that, it's also how am I showing up in a way that helps the student articulate um, what they need, what they want, what's good for them, which not every student is going to know yet. So it's really paying attention and tuning into how can I get my student thinking about themselves in this way and their learning? Wow. Okay. So does that, does that, does that connect into the vulnerability piece for faculty and being able to go there? Yeah. Yeah. And the students. And so, and that's going to, I'm just trying to piece this stuff together. So that also would speak to a level of trust that, that, gets built between faculty and student. Yeah. That may also in include the breaking down of the silo and the barrier of I'm up here in the front, you're down there sitting in the seat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people do that in different ways. You know, how you speak to the students, how you set out the kind of classroom rules or expectations at the beginning do you do it collaboratively? Do the students write it up? Do you type it? You know, it's a, mm -hmm. you know, it, it starts from that very beginning and, you know, what are you expecting of them in terms of rules and phone usage, you know, like things like that can really impact how a student thinks about you as their instructor and how you're positioning yourself. So yes, it is vulnerable. And particularly when, you know, we have these beliefs about how I should be in front of the class, you know, oh, if you let them get away with that, they'll walk all over you, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I had definitely started out like that 
as an instructor. Um, and there is some element of, you know, we do have to have clear boundaries and, and we do have to have expectations, but you know, again, it's this plus one thing. Is that some, is that your plus one this year? Having a conversation with your students about how things are going. Are you comfortable in this classroom? Do you feel safe? Do you feel like the rules meet your needs? Is there anything you'd like to change, you know, since we've already started? Uh, what have you noticed that's kind of annoying or maybe makes you think twice about coming to class? Those are some pretty significant questions because I'm just putting myself in the role play, right? And, mm -hmm. and I'm picturing myself in my classroom teaching my course. And, and it's interesting because I teach, I have the opportunity to teach the same course. This is in the School of Business and Media. I have the same opportunity to, well, I have the opportunity to teach the same course to first year, like for like level one and fifth level five. So we would call that advanced diploma. And the difference is, you know, I'm teaching to, to young adults, you know, 18, 19, 20, first year into college university, as opposed to professionals who are in the field of expertise that they're in and they're looking at <clears throat> moving up the ladder, so to speak, or they're looking at expanding their knowledge in certain organizational behavior concepts. And I do notice a huge difference in engagement style and maturity level. Um, and so when you're asking those questions, I'm putting myself in that, in that, in that space going, what would it look like if I began asking those questions out loud and am I open enough, willing enough, to not only listen to the answers, but begin implementing some of those answers. Mm. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you find the faculty may have the bandwidth to listen, but putting it into practice is a whole other gear. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I love hearing your perspective, uh, as, as faculty, um, I've done a number, uh, probably hundreds of small group instructional feedback sessions. Um, so going into a classroom, asking the questions that I've helped the, the instructor come up with in advance and uh, they leave the classroom and I would go in and, and have a conversation with their students. And then I would basically go through all of the responses, the written responses and, and the conversation that we had had my notes and come up with some themes for the instructor. So it, it kind of narrows it down a bit here, are the highlights, you know, so they're not just uh, overwhelmed with feedback. Uh, Cause we know it can be very overwhelming oh, to get yeah, for sure. too yeah. much feedback. Right. But we do, it's nice because you get the context from the facilitator. Uh, it's, it's one of the most impactful things that we can do to change things in the classroom because it's from the horse's mouth and it's not after it's too late to do anything about it. We usually try to do it around midterm, um, but you could do it sooner. And I've done everything from, you know, just kind of a standard survey to, uh, you know, what can I start doing, stop doing, continue doing, uh, you know, things like that can be really valuable for the instructor. Not everyone is going to be able to change all of the things. Like if your students say, we don't want any more tests and you have mandatory <laughs> tests, then you're not yeah. going to be able to change that. Right. Um, but at least you can say, Hey guys, I, I heard this guys and girls, sorry, uh, people, folks, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I read this from the feedback that you gave to the facilitator. I really appreciate all of your comments. Um, I'm going to just, you know, pick out a couple of things that I want to address today. You know, the assessment thing, haha. Uh, you know, thanks for your feedback on that. I know nobody likes tests, but is there something we can do to, uh, you know, um, help ease your anxiety around the test? What is it that makes you give me that feedback that you don't want tests? Why do you hate them so much? Is there anything we, that I can do to support you in that? So it can open up a dialogue at the very least even if you can't make the changes. And then, you know, maybe there's a low hanging fruit there. You know, maybe they're saying, I, 
want you to treat me like an adult and, you know, let me take my phone call and go outside without embarrassing me in front of everyone or whatever it is. Um, and you say, okay, well, maybe we'll have like, you know, a pass and you get one pass for, I don't know, the day or something. I don't know. Um, if, if you're not comfortable with just people walking in and out of your classroom, for example. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it helps the students feel seen and heard and, their problems get addressed. And then what usually you'll find is then the student evaluations at the end of the semester are more meaningful. Um, they might even be more favorable to you because you've listened to them and, and addressed the challenges that they would have otherwise saved up maybe until the end. Mm -hmm. Has it, has there been an opportunity to look at <clears throat> the, the student, uh, outcomes in, in regards to, uh, grades and marks as to. That would be a great, uh, study. I think, um, Doug major from, uh, VCC did his PhD on small group instructional feedback. There might be some data in there that, that looks at the trajectory. I'm not sure. Yeah. And I haven't done that. That's you know that would be a a major undertaking with privacy and and all those kinds of things. But it would be really interesting to track. Yeah, to track. because on one hand, a lot of programs get evaluated by that, right? And sometimes sometimes faculty can be evaluated by student outcomes. Mm. And on the other hand, I know that that there is a that there is a, a sentiment of well, you can't let everybody pass. And my, my immediate question to that is why not? Mm. <laughs> right. Like, like why, well, why do we have to have people fail? Well, yeah. you know, you have to, you have to show rigor in the program. Okay. But what if the class is really just, what if they're good? What if, what if, what if, and then, then the answer to that I've heard is, well, not everybody's that good. <laughs> and I'm like, interesting. Yeah, okay. So we're all, yeah. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you talk your way through that? Right. It's like, well, I, I, I have to make sure that certain number of people fail because if I, if I, if I have two or three classes back to back to back where everybody gets through, then what, what does that mean? Right. Uh -huh. And sometimes my answer is, well, maybe, maybe you're teaching well and they're learning well. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. How about that? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you, what do you find is um, the top, top theme coming back from students when you're, when you're in these kinds of conversations? Like, is it, is it about style and delivery or is it really more about the autonomy issue? Like, like you just said, teach me, treat me like an adult. If I'm going to take a phone call. I'm going to, I'm going to take it. I think it's generally more about the instruction and the, the approach to, to teaching. Um, it's also, uh, sometimes a bit grading how, how they're being graded and marked. Uh, you know, they'd like to have another chance to complete the assessment or to improve a mark, um, things like that. Uh, yeah, but mostly I think it's about, the the instruction and how the how the teacher is with them yeah relationship wise rules how they speak to them or if they give them time to speak or a chance to speak and be heard um you know and and i think the 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 real value of that is it opens up that conversation because that might be a teacher who first came to me and said, Oh, it's like pulling teeth. I can't get them to say anything. And then the students are like, they never let me talk or they don't ask me my opinion. So then it's like, okay, so what's, where's the breakdown in this? And it could be a very simple fix. Interesting. Interesting. All right. We're coming up to the end, Jen. Thank you so much for being here. Got a couple more questions for you. Um, well, outside of the book, reach everyone, teach everyone. What else are you reading right now? That's uh, making you think and go, Hmm. Oh, good question. Um, 
It's called Curbing Traffic uh, by the Bruntlets. It's not an education book, but it's about cycling infrastructure and safe streets. Uh, it's a couple from Vancouver who took moved their family to uh, the Netherlands after writing this other book uh, called Building the Cycling City. Um, and it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> I just love it so much. We really need to get on the go here with our uh, safe streets. So, so are you the kind of cyclist that would have a sticker on on your frame saying one less one less car? <laughs> I don't, but I just ordered the hat. I got a baseball hat uh, from the podcast, The War on Cars. Okay, check it out. Really good. Is that is that what you're listening to lately? Yeah. Some pod, podcast War on Cars. Yeah. Is, is this like um, this like a couple of people getting together and talking about their experiences of riding in traffic? Uh, they have examples and it's quite, it's really good. Actually, it's, it's a really well-established uh, podcast. And so it'll give you lots of ideas and, and it just challenges our perception of, of how things should be. You know, car culture has created these assumptions about who the streets are for and where we're allowed to walk or ride our bikes or who gets priority. And that affects how we drive, how we interact. <laughs> it uh, sure does. So, and I do, and I'm a driver. I do drive. I have a vehicle. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that we should ban cars, but uh, I do think it's important for us to think about that, you know, those extremes mm -hmm. uh, so that we can think of it what's possible. Yeah, that's that's quite a big bone of contention here on the West Coast, especially in Vancouver area where there's tons of people on bikes. Yeah. And it seems like we're losing lanes every every month somewhere on a bridge or in a thoroughfare. And even even the yeah. way I just say it, we're losing lanes. Right? Well, and you're losing people <laughs> because people are dying. Right. And, and yep. you know, not to get heavy here, but it's people are losing their lives um, for very preventable, uh, you know, reasons. That really, we we should not accept. And that's the Netherlands wasn't always the Netherlands, as, as people like to say. The Netherlands was heading in the direction of North America in terms of car infrastructure. And they had a number of deaths. I think it was in the 60s. And everybody went out to the streets and protested and said, we don't want our kids dying in the streets. And it turned it around. And, and that was the power of people uh to make that change and look at it now amazing it's a cycling That's paradise yeah and you say in the 1960s so it wasn't like 100 years ago when no. cars were just starting to come out and people were like no no we don't want technology we don't need cars it was really like 50 60 years ago yeah wow that's amazing in yeah. the netherlands too you don't really anticipate people in the netherlands protesting out in the streets right yeah well you know and why aren't we <laughs> You know, you people's, <laughs> people's kids are dying because they're trying to get to school on a bicycle and or trying to cross a crosswalk and some person like speeds through and, you know, that's that's it. So I, not to get I'm getting quite heavy here at the end, but uh, I do. It's something I'm quite passionate about and I think it's really important. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Any, are you listening to any other podcasts besides War on Cars? Uh, we just traveled on the weekend and we listened to the dropout, which is about Elizabeth Holmes and, um, yeah, the, uh, Theranos scandal. Uh, that's quite interesting, bit salacious, you know, sometimes we like a, a little bit of, uh, gossipy. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Good deal. All right. Well, last question, Jen, uh, what impact do you want to have on the system that you're in? in this next six months? Six months. Good question. You always get me with these questions at the end. I think a realistic uh, goal for me would be if more and more people at the college, like if, if all of our faculty could at least know what universal design for learning is in the next six months, uh, and if they all know who I am so that they know where they can come for conversations about teaching and learning, that would be, uh, that would be amazing. I would love that. Oh, that'd be great. So if there's anybody in the Newfoundland Labrador area that needs UDL coaching and learning, uh, you, you need to go, uh, talk to, uh, Jen Wicks and, uh, whether it's virtual or over a coffee somewhere, 
Maybe it's on a bike riding on the road. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that would even be better. But uh, thanks so much, Jen, for being on the show today. It's always a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. It, I, I always uh, anticipate where our conversation is going to go because it, it almost seems eclectic from a couple steps back, but it does come together in this beautiful tapestry of, of everything that we talk about, even cycling all the way through to UDL and coaching and teaching and learning. And, and it's, a, it's a very, it's a very holistic conversation we have. And I always walk away um, with, with a lot more to think about than, than I did when we start. So thank you so much. Me too. Thank you, Tim. And thanks for your, uh, your questions. You always ask great questions. And uh, anytime uh, that you want to have another conversation like this, I'm here because uh, I do too uh, enjoy it and, and learn a lot. So thank thanks. you. You're welcome.